Hello, Nathan Foster here, and welcome once again to the Renovare Weekly Podcast. And maybe I just want to pause and say thank you to all those you who have been listening. I am really enjoying doing this and very much glad that uh, people are out there tuning in. My guest today is Alan Fadling, and Alan is the president and founder of an organization called Unhurried Living Incorporated. Um, Alan speaks and consults uh, internationally and nationally, uh, working with leaders and teaching on spiritual formation and just how to help people live an unhurried life. He's the author of a book by the same title, An Unhurried Life, and you can uh, reach him if you'd like to learn more at uh, uh, his website, unhurriedliving.com. Um, I, I really had fun doing this, uh, unpacking a little bit what does it mean and what does it look like for us to uh, learn a new rhythm to life, and I, I think you'll really enjoy some of the insights that Alan has to offer. Alan, how are you, sir? I'm very well, Nathan. I uh, sure appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah. Hey, tell us a little about your book, Unhurried, Unhurried Life. Is that what it is? Yeah, An Unhurried Life. Well, the, the first line, which very much sort of uh, is a piece of my story, is uh, I'm a recovering speed addict, and I don't mean the drug. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about the inner pace of my life. And so I, I like to talk about my issue of hurry as a recovery uh, journey. And I've got friends who are in recovery from you know, alcoholism. I've got friends who are in recovery from drug addictions. Uh, I take my own wrestling with hurry just as seriously as that, and it's still uh, it's still an issue I'm I'm uh, in recovery from, and I find it harder to measure. I don't know how to measure how many days since I what. Uh, <laughs> how much sobriety do you have? You know, what was it? <laughs> get your keychain. <laughs> uh, yeah, your yeah. Chip. Get a chip for what? What? How, what am I measuring? And uh, yeah. but yeah, so that's. That's what it's been like for me. It's, it's, it's very much a recovery journey. I, I sometimes think that we, um, we write what we need to read ourselves or speak what true. we need to hear. So, and, you know, it's interesting because I've been excited to chat with you because it's a uh, – I mean, I'm very much a fan of – and I'm convinced that the, the Jesus life calls us to just slow down and it's so toxic, the environments we're in. Yet, it's something I always find myself struggling with. Yeah. Um, yeah, me too. And, um, you know, a lot of my work, I get to come alongside leaders um, in a lot of different contexts. And I'm, I'm hearing more and more uh, from leaders uh, kind of a complaint about the pace of their lives. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, a lot of it is self-chosen, but some of it also just feels like the culture of the places in, in which they're leading or serving or ministering or working or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding this even outside of the, the, the U.S. I'm finding this when I travel to Nigeria, to India, to Russia, especially in urban centers. This hurry thing is, is, a, is a really big deal. It, 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 that's, that's helpful to, to hear and maybe look at a little. I, I, I was in the U.K. a few years back and made some comment to American, you know, hurry and rush and such. And, and it almost surprised me to hear that it's really exact, exactly the same there. Are yeah. you seeing this in, in other countries as well then? Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know exactly why. I have, I have some ideas. Um, one, I, I do think 
it's possible we've sort of exported some of our own pacing. Sure. You know, we've certainly trained a lot of leaders around the world, uh, either through their coming to us or through our going to them. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine says that sometimes what we didn't realize we were doing is we, we brought a sort of virus of hurry with us. Mm-hmm. wasn't even something we were intentionally passing along, but we they caught it from us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a factor. And then I think the reality of urbanization and technological progress and mm-hmm. how all of that stuff has a tendency to accelerate mm-hmm. and compress mm-hmm. our lives and our work. Uh, I think all of those are factors. Yeah, it, it's so easy to get caught up into. And it, there is something very countercultural about trying to intentionally live a, a, a different way. Uh, yeah. What do you find to be most helpful for people uh, th- that are convinced? I mean, maybe we just start there, that are aware that this is destructive. Um, what do you recommend? Yeah. Well, one of the ways I, I have thought about this personally, as well as uh, you know, when I work with leaders, is I think you know Dallas's um, category of spiritual disciplines of, what is it, abstinence or disengagement, Mm-hmm. Sort of, I might call them the, the things that we don't do, mm-hmm. uh, disciplines. I think that's the collection of disciplines a lot of leaders need to incorporate in their lives. They Leaders have a tendency to think of spiritual practices in, in terms of just activity. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. study and serve and minister and connect with people, and I'm going to do, do all these things for God, with God, mm-hmm. and, and that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like everything gets defined as exhale, mm-hmm. and they don't, they don't think, leaders often don't think, we don't think, uh, about the inhale side of life, of, of work, of leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think disciplines like solitude and silence and secrecy and, mm-hmm. and others that are sort of step-back practices, that's often what opens up a little space in the pacing Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so cultivating some of these intentional habits uh, that maybe are not culturally encouraged uh, yes. things for us to They're do. Particularly. Certainly not culturally rewarded. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I had a, 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 an interesting line that, that's been ringing in my head for years, and I'd love to hear your take on it. Hurry is greed. Mm. I don't I don't know if you have any initial reactions to that statement. Well, yeah, I think I would almost I would almost think in in bigger terms than just that line. I think you could probably make some sort of a case for almost every one of the deadly sins. Okay, that hurry has a way of being a component of each of them. I think temptation, for example, is a rush to grab something for myself that I think God is willing to give me mm-hmm. generously, but perhaps in God's time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, hurry as greed, sure, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm defining my life by what I acquire, and so if I acquire more, mm-hmm. my life's better. And so hurry is just a great way to get more things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll take it to experiences, achievements that yeah. um, I'm greedy to do these things or have these relationships or you know get to develop a new hobby or something, um, yeah. as opposed to living in my limitations that God 
designed for me of what I'm capable of doing? Yeah, I think another way I would say it is um, we sometimes get into the habit of defining our lives outside of ourselves. Okay. And so the more stuff we can get, the more achievements we can uh, uh, reach, you know, all these things we do outside, this is what makes us valuable, important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think uh, unhurrying is in part uh, the engine of it is learning actually I am who I am. You know, in relationship to God, this whole yes. belovedness reality, and that maybe I already have a full cup in this relationship, and I don't need to go with my empty cup, desperately looking for stuff to fill it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whatever the stuff is, mm-hmm. things or achievements or good words from people or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that's been the most important part of my recovery process, mm-hmm. is learning I already have the things that matter most to me. And that I go out into my life and my work with a full cup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's it, the, the potentially this goes back to issues of identity and who I mm-hmm. am, and and the, and the irony to it is that that we can sabotage all those things that really matter um, yeah. by trying to do too much and living frantic, frantic. Oh, lives. that's that's really true. Yeah. So I live with this tension of I want to be. Um, productive. I want you know my years to count for something, um, yeah. and yet I'm aware that I can just sabotage everything when I get going too too fast. Um, the fear of being lazy or complacent. How does that tie into living an unhurried life? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, a month ago, I was in India with a group of leaders up in the far north, and. Um, I gave a talk based on one of these chapters, the the rhythm of work and rest. Uh-huh. It's see on their faces they were getting really nervous <laughs> and uncomfortable. And when we were all done, they were sort of talking amongst themselves. And, and basically what they said was uh, it sounded exactly like I was inviting them to laziness. Because mm-hmm. they have a, a, a profound cultural sensitivity to laziness uh, within their culture. Okay. Uh, and so they, they know they don't want to be that. And so it feels like to them the only option they have is to stay busy and do lots of important things. In their case, and maybe ironically, uh, lots of things for God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think the uh, the thing that I would say is, you know, you have to decide what is it that what is it that fruitfulness really means. Okay. Uh, sometimes I think we measure productivity in sort of mechanical terms instead of perhaps organic terms. Okay. If you're thinking about productivity in organic terms, well, you've got to plant and tend and water, none of which looks very impressive on any balance sheet yet. <laughs> right. So finally, someday, harvest moment comes, and now we've got fruit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think fruitfulness and, and maybe true productivity is a more organic thing. And so an unhurried approach to that, it recognizes that there are moments for planting and tending and pruning, all kinds of activities that in themselves wouldn't be measured as fruitfulness, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that most certainly are contributing to some moment when fruit will come. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So that's been important, at least in my own understanding. Mm -hmm. Kind of a big picture view and even a a kingdom view of um, the life that we're called into. That yeah. sometimes our efforts are more about us and building our own kingdoms uh, yeah. than than you know 
living into the the life that, that Jesus invites us into. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, so for example, uh, a lot of leaders I know resist spending very much time in prayer. They would never say that out loud because that's a horrible thing for a <laughs> leader to admit. But part of it is because they don't see an immediate connection between their praying and their leading. Right. right. But I would argue that this tending this friendship with God uh, is a kind of watering or maybe planting. It's, it is a part of the process of living fruitfully. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but until you have a bigger picture of what all that means, there's a lot of activities that do not on the face, stopping and talking with the person and spending an hour or two just listening well. Well, that may not be impressive to your board if you're a pastor. <laughs> you know. They're going to ask you different questions. But I think my argument is these are the things that result in the fruit that matters most that mm-hmm. 10, 20, 30 years down the road when I'm looking back, I really think those are the things I'm going to be happy about. Yeah. And I think some of the things that I was thrilled about in this one month little measuring window probably won't even register mm-hmm. at that. Yeah, th- those those exchanges might be the most productive things we do. <laughs> a yeah. fr- friend of mine, James Catford, once uh, gave a word of advice for me as I was entering into a, a kind of a full season in my schedule. And he said, mm-hmm. Nate, he goes, Nate, sometimes the most productive thing you can do is to go to sleep. Uh, and, yeah. and I is right on. I mean, the 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 great beauty of uh, an unhurried life is is at least for me. I find I'm more productive when yeah. I've carved out space uh, for stillness, silence, solitude, and prayer. Uh, yeah. That when I get back to the grinding to do list and such, it uh, something's changed. Something's different. And, yeah, uh, I think that's right. I um, I realize there's times when I'm so tired that feels like there's only about a 30% me working on stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's do the math. It's like uh, if, there, if there's only a 30% me spending a whole day working on stuff, maybe I'd be better if uh, I rested for half a day and then there was an 80% me working on stuff. Maybe, maybe, who knows, that would be <laughs> fruitful. <laughs> yeah. No, that's I, – I, I live with kind of limitations and I, I lament sometimes where I see people who can function with – low amounts of sleep and they just kind of go and go and go and 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 just as a human being i can't um and i i'll find like for instance a day where i'm i'm, I'm working or trying to write three four hours i'm just done and mm. and if i continue i'm just like trying to squeeze a lemon out of a <laughs> you know there, there's nothing left in there to, yeah yeah to keep going exactly I've thought of a, a, a new practice. I'd love to hear your opinion on it. Mm. Um, that, that might be kind of fun, and it, it, it fits in this, or at least it fits in terms of energy level um, for an activity. Uh, I mean, just I'll personalize it for me. Writing. Um, w- what if every hour I spent at the keyboard was an hour in prayer? Mm. And and write for an hour, pray for an hour, write for an, and um, just to kind of. Get that space of the well to fill up, uh, and I don't know. I don't know if that fits any that we're talking about. But curious, you have an opinion on that? Well, maybe that's a, a very, very practical version of kind of what I was hinting at earlier when I talked about you know life and work as breathing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of times we're defining our work just in terms of the output side, the exhale side, maybe. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, if you're breathing and you decided for a few hours you're just going to exhale, <laughs> that is not going to work well for you. <laughs> so maybe that, that would be an inhale-exhale rhythm for me. To, that's to what I wonder. And, and I think that's a, that's a useful and creative way to think about any of us in our, our lives, our relationships, our work. Um, what might our lives as breathing look like? Mm-hmm. How might we take in the good things God has for us? Uh, rest, refreshment, encouragement, nourishment, uh, whatever, mm-hmm. so that as we then re-engage uh, in our work, in our connecting with people, whatever, we're bringing more to those moments. Mm-hmm. I love it. And, and I, I, I feel like I always want to make a clarification in that those inhale moments, th- this isn't self-help, selfish me time, Yeah. right? This is being human and living within the limitations that God's designed for us. Um, yeah. yeah. Would you agree on that? Yeah. And I think maybe a way I would say is that this inhale side of things for me is, is some form or another of practicing God's presence. So just remembering yeah. where I am and who I am and who is with me in all of this stuff. Uh, the busier I get, the more forgetful I become. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the inhale side is, is maybe the remembering side of, of all this mm-hmm. and, and uh, the perspective gaining yep. uh, that comes. And I, 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 We're alluding to it, but I, I love the idea that in the spiritual practices, there's, there's any number of different things we can do. And then for each, each one of us, there are going to be different seasons where different ones are, are helpful. So our inhale has – any limited number of uh, things we can do that, that can be kind of fun, I think. Absolutely. I think it's, it's where we remember and experience life in the midst of what feels sometimes like pressures or demands or expectations that come to us in any number of forms. Mm-hmm. As far as this inhale thing goes, um, you know, it can be just a five-second moment that I stop between answering a couple of emails it can be, you know, an hour that I set aside in the midst of a day after I've had a, a dense or in, an intense morning of writing or work or connecting or whatever. Or it could be a day a week. Uh, I, one of the things I've done for a number of leaders is lead them through windows of sabbatical, mm-hmm. with set aside a month or two or three. Mm-hmm. And that was a long inhale in a sense. Um, but I think it is a really useful question, especially for busy people, mm-hmm. to ask what will inhale look like for me. Oh, that's good. That's good. I I remember once hearing, and I, I hope I'm getting this right. I think it was Brennan Manning who had a rhythm where uh, one hour a day, uh, one day a week, and then I think one week a, a, a season or a quarter mm. um, of solitude, rest. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of a nice discipline that I think might be transformative for some people. Absolutely, I think Mother Teresa had a very similar, and and the, I think her community still has a very similar rule uh, on the sort of daily, weekly, monthly, and then every six years, I think they've got a an extended rhythm. Mm. I think again, it's the question is each of us are in different practical life stages mm-hmm. and places, you know. I talk to college students and single young adults, and they've got a certain amount of flexibility. And then I talk to young couples with little teeny tiny kids. <laughs> it's going to look different. And yep. so, you know, don't put pressure on yourself to have some idealized version of this. Yeah. You know, that's why I say, what? how might Jesus be leading you to inhale 
what might that rhythm look like? And I, I, I love to think of it as a, a great invitation and not yes. as pressure. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, w- what a great place to start with just that question prayerfully. What are you inviting me into? Uh, and what, yeah, it's not a one size fits all yeah. thing. W- would you, would you say, um, that hurry is one of the most, if not the most destructive forces in the spiritual life? I, that's my experience. Um, I don't find much good coming from hurry in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and I say that knowing that there was a time in my life when I imagined hurry as an amazing asset. For <laughs> a virtue. <laughs> yeah, a virtue, an asset, a good. And my culture, the culture in which I live, you know, American culture, and not just sort of the culture of this nation, but many times the culture of ministries and organizations I've been a part of. Mm-hmm. Hurry is in one way or another rewarded and affirmed. Right. Yep. And unhurry is not. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you read a uh, if you read a, a dictionary and you read uh, definitions for fast, they're largely positive. Mm-hmm. You know? If you read the definitions in a dictionary for slow, not so much. <laughs> uh, they are all pretty, you know, sluggish, you know, unintelligent, you know, these mm-hmm. sorts of slow is not uh it doesn't have a virtuous tone to mm-hmm. it. But my experience in terms of uh, the spiritual life is hurry is, uh, well, what, one of the uh, writers that I read when I was writing this book said that uh, the one who hurries delays the things of God. Mm-hmm. And I, that's my experience. That's what I have found to be true. Uh, and so our journey uh, as a couple uh, in ministry um, it has been those seasons where we learn to slow down a bit, where actually long-term, they prove to be far more fruitful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Seasons when I'm frantically, busily doing things, um, they're not as fruitful. They, they seem, I get more done. I check more things off lists, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I don't look back three months later, six months, 12 months later and think, man, that was fruitful. Mm-hmm. Just, it was just busy, and they're not always the same thing. I, I know I've gotten a little awry when the things I love to do are, are no longer fun. Where I look at it, you know something on my calendar that I normally would really enjoy, and I go, "Okay, I get through," <laughs> and yeah. it, it's it, the joy has been sucked out of it because it's just become another thing I have to I have to do. So I had an interesting experience with my dad a few years ago where we were talking about some of this, and a lady offered a question. She said, I've got young kids and my life is just frantic and I don't, I don't know what to do. And to add more things just sounds awful. And he paused for a moment and then his response, he said, you, you just have to learn to say no. And, and then kind of went into this, you know, I, I wish I could make it more complicated for you, but you, you have to learn to say no. Well, learning to say no is, is it sounds nice, but boy – that's really tough. Yeah. And I assume you'd agree that learning to say no is, say no to good things is of course. Important. Well, you know, and again, a, a lot of the people I uh, bump into and, and work alongside are, are people with a heart for ministry. Mm-hmm. Often it feels like the only faithful way to respond to a request is to say yes. Mm-hmm. If you really love people, you'll say yes to them. Mm-hmm. But in fact, uh, I think a more unhurried way uh, – is to let God lead us to our yeses and to our noes. And that 
saying no's uh, enable me to say a more holistic, a more hearty yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's time to say yes. I say yes sometimes for, for very silly reasons and not at all because, you know, Jesus is nudging me to a yes. <laughs> I'm just trying to please somebody or I'm just trying to get something solved or, you know. And so uh, slowing down a little bit and considering my response, um, it does make it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're saying yes to things that aren't part of the yoke of Jesus for you, the yoke's going to start feeling heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I was just doing it today where I someone had made a request to, you know, get together with me and, and I like the person, want to be with them, but I'm looking at my calendar, I'm going, I really should say no. But I don't want to hurt their feelings, you know. How do, how, how do, how do we do that? Yeah. Well, when you learn, you'll have to tell me uh, <laughs> the wisdom you gained. I, you know, I, there's got to be ways for us to love people. Um, the way God's inviting us to love them. Uh-huh. And it may not always be giving them exactly what they've requested. Um, but that takes, uh, that takes a lot of inner confidence and mm-hmm. clarity mm-hmm. about uh, where God is guiding you and, and how God's inviting you to spend your time. See, to, to me, one of the most critical things in all of this conversation has been for me that this unhurried thing, as you maybe said earlier, it's not just a soul care thing. It's not just a personal well-being thing. I really believe that living an unhurried life is a facet of our discipleship to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, I, and so I, I think until we get to that point where we say, actually, the reason I'm seeking to live this rhythm is Jesus does. Mm-hmm. That he'll spend a day caring for the needs of a crowd from early morning to late at night. And the next day, he'll withdraw to lonely places to pray. Mm-hmm. My instinct mm-hmm. would be, there's still needs. <laughs> I'll have day two will look exactly like day one. And if they're still there on day three, I'll go until I pass out. You know, mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. that's my instinct. I think that's what faithfulness is. That's what ministry is. Jesus seems to know better than that. <laughs> and so I, I like to think of this unhurried life as a facet of our discipleship. So I don't just define discipleship in terms of, saying words like Jesus says or doing works mm-hmm. that Jesus does, but living life the way Jesus lives. Yes. And unhurried rhythm is, I think, a, a very much a part of his way of life. Yeah, yeah. And, and not something we're doing while teaching each other mm-hmm. to do. I, you know, as to, to go back to, no, that's fantastic. But to go back to the saying no to things, I just was reminded of a time where uh, mm-hmm. I'd asked, uh, a, a colleague, if he would help me with a, a project. And he sent me this very nice email and said, you know, I have decided this week, I just say no, need to say no to things. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is, you know, something that I'm feeling very, I mean, you know, it was a very nice email, he said. And yeah. my reaction was one of respect and connection. Cause I'm like, awesome, man, you just go and I need to do the same. And, sure. Maybe it's those that would get hurt or angry with us. Um, maybe that's as much on them as it is on us. Yeah, and maybe our yes doesn't give them nearly as much as they thought it would or we think it will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. There's the thing. is it wouldn't, Maybe that's my real fear, that it won't matter to them if I say no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Alan, this is fantastic. Um, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Oh, it's a great visit. Thank you. 